It's Jared. Before we begin today's episode, I do want to issue a content warning. This episode will discuss the themes of sexual assault and rape, so if that is uncomfortable to you or triggering in any way, please feel free to listen to next week's episode or proceed at your own risk. Thank you. So, as protests and George Floyd's death continue to dominate the news cycle, along with the coronavirus making its regular appearance, a lot of important information and news stories have simply not got the airtime that they would have normally. Whether it was SpaceX's successful launch or sports possibly starting up again in the next few weeks, a lot of stories have kind of gone under the radar. But one in specific is really consequential and seemed to have flown by without any deep analysis. And that is Education Secretary DeVos's new Title IX guidelines for college campuses. Now, I don't want to get too into it, as our episode will do that, but these guidelines dictate how colleges talk about and combat sexual assault on college campuses. And since it's such an important issue and widespread issue, these guidelines can have a massive effect on a lot of students. And as someone entering college come the fall, this is something that is really topical for both me and my peers. And I think it's something that, while might sound very legalistic, is really, really important. So for this episode, I sit down with Ari Stern, a good friend and peer educator who focuses on sexual assault and rape among young people. And she's going to help us understand and really break down the nitty gritty of what are Title IX protections and how the change that has just hit them will affect college kids and college students all around. So if this is something that interests you, stay tuned. Hey, Ari. Hey. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. So for our listeners, if you could describe who you are, first of all, and some of the organizations you work with and how you're connected to our topic of Title IX protections and sexual assault on college campuses. Yeah, of course. So my name is Ari, and I'm a high school student in Los Angeles. And I work with an organization called Change the Talk as a peer educator. So basically, it's a Los Angeles-based organization that focuses on peer education, which means high school students are going to other high schools and going to events with high school students and educating all about sexual assault, prevention, what consent means, consent culture, and how sexual assault is so deeply intertwined in society when it comes to sexual assaults portrayed in the media or how it really manifests in the way that we look at gender roles. So that's a little bit about what I do. And yeah, we also talk a lot about Title IX and how students can find resources. So that's a big part of what I do as well. Awesome. Awesome. So you're kind of right at this intersection between sexual assault and being a student. And that's all what our episode's about today. So really glad to have you on. So before we dive into the nitty gritty of what Title IX protections are and kind of how they've changed in the past month, could you just provide a little bit of context on what does sexual assault look like on college campuses now and how slash why does it look like that? Within the age group of 18 to 24 year olds, sexual assault is incredibly heightened. So for women aged 18 to 24 that are in college, they are three times more likely to face sexual assault than an average woman in that age group. 
For males, male college students are 78% more likely to experience sexual assault than non-students. And these numbers are even higher for transgender students who are at an increasingly heightened risk with 21% of transgender students have actually been sexually assaulted in comparison to 18% of cis females and 4% of cis males. So there are quite a few reasons why it's heightened around this age and this time in someone's life, specifically with students rather than non-students. First thing is this normally happens within the first few months and first few semesters of college. This has a lot to do with alcohol in the partying scene, unfortunately. Of course, this is no excuse for sexual assault, and it is in no way a way to justify it or to say that, well, this person was drunk, so that's why they did it. But a lot of times, things that are kind of burrowing underneath in society come out with alcohol and with these college party scenes. So it's this idea of gender roles, which is ingrained in people from an incredibly young age. It's from telling young boys that they're strong and when they're tackling each other, just, oh, it's no big deal, boys will be boys, rather than saying to a boy to compliment them, oh, you're so kind, you're gentle. Things like that, this idea that men are entitled to sex is something that has been ingrained in our society for so long. It's also this idea that the perfect woman is someone who is gentle and smart, but submissive and someone who is almost scared to say no. Women oftentimes find themselves struggling to say no, don't know what to do. And a common response, we always hear about fight or flight, but we rarely hear about freeze, which is a common response Mm. when it comes to sexual assault. And so obviously this does not just happen to women. One in three women is sexually assaulted in her lifetime and one in six men. And these numbers are even more increased for people in the LGBTQ plus community who don't identify with either of those. But it has to do a lot with, from a young age, what we are ingraining in young children's minds and this idea that men are entitled to things, whatever things may be, whether it's money and power and how that manifests into sexual experiences as well. So that definitely does create a heightened level of sexual assault cases, especially at this age when you're leaving home, when you have freedom. Sadly, this often translates into what people think is the freedom to do things to other people that they really should not be doing. And frankly, it's illegal, so they cannot be (laughs) doing. So that's definitely why it's increased on campuses. And that's a little bit about the statistics and what that is going to look like. Yeah, so it kind of sounds like the way gender roles are presented and kind of the way that children are just brought up in a very gendered society, a lot of those ideals are kind of brought to the surface within college because of, as you mentioned, both the party scene, life changes. It's kind of the first time you as a human being are a full autonomous adult. And because of that, you don't really have a lot in check uh, to prevent a lot of the, the gender norms that you're taught from the beginning. However, there are things in check, as you mentioned, the law being chief among them to try to prevent some of, you know, the horrid acts of sexual assault. So could you describe a little bit about what Title IX protections and resources are for students before the recent change from Secretary DeVos and how it's changed afterward? Sure. So Title IX is law that was created in order to address 
gender-based discrimination in sports teams and for sexual assault on school campuses, whether that be high schools or colleges, any publicly or federally funded schools will be protected by Title IX. So that's something to know for every single person who goes to a school that is federally funded, that you are protected by Title IX. But unfortunately, DeVos did create a new Title IX that looks a little bit less friendly to people who may have experienced sexual assault. And that actually gives a lot more leeway to schools that might be trying to avoid a lawsuit or to people who were accused of sexual assault. So the new Title IX covers only sexual harassment that meets this new definition, unwelcome conduct that is so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that it effectively denies a person equal access to education. Now, this burden is quite high to meet, and I mean, objectively offensive. I think that's a term, what does that even mean? This new standard to meet makes it very unattainable, which makes it easier for schools to not pursue cases of sexual assault. And only the most, most severe cases absolutely need to be pursued by the school, which is really unfortunate. Another thing is that colleges can now raise the bar for what constitutes a Title IX violation. So I would say it's less concrete and more something that colleges and schools in general can raise based on what they feel comfortable going forth with in terms of the investigation. Another thing is that the standard of proof changed from, or the burden of proof changed from more likely than not uh, for the preponderance of evidence to clear and convincing, which is a little bit different. And then something that is comforting often for people who are accusing someone of sexual assault is to know that people at their school are mandatory reporters, which means that if you Mm. confide in someone about either sexual assault, um, whether you're harming someone else, yourself, child abuse, anything like that, people at your school are mandated reporters to law enforcement. This new Title IX makes it so that not all employees have to be mandatory reporters. So this changes the dynamics on campuses a little bit. There's also a much narrower definition of harassment. Colleges can no longer address and investigate off-campus misconduct, which is something that I think makes this new Title IX very, very detrimental. And this is the one thing that I think really sets it apart from the last one. Aside from all the nitty-gritty of preponderance of evidence, this is something that it's easy to see why this could be so harmful because so many students are involved in partying. I know in my high school, that's where most sexual conduct takes place, not in the school bathrooms or in the gym, but at parties outside of the school. So colleges can no longer address this if it's not on school property or if it doesn't have to do with a school event. If it's not at the school debate tournament, then there's no way for the school to be able to go forth with that investigation, which obviously most of the time things that have to do with the school are happening at parties and things like that. The other thing is that the 60-day timeline is removed, so this means cases can go on and on and on. Religious schools can now be exempt, which, as you might be able to see, has quite a few problems. Yeah, so schools can choose to be exempt from Title IX. I don't know where religion condoned sexual assault, but that is what the new Title (laughs) IX, that's what the new Title IX says. Also, there is a required cross-examination of each representative of each party's choosing, which means that on the side of the rapist, they can cross-examine the person who was raped. So this could be very uncomfortable and unsettling and triggering for a number of reasons. So there are a ton of different guidelines that have been set with this new Title IX that are not good for people who are trying to go forth with healing and justice.
Yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot there. And I think a lot of this really comes down to, at least when I was reading the same kind of provisions that you just provided, was that it gives the colleges this almost kangaroo court ability. That they can frame basically what they believe to be bad, not what is either legally defined as bad or at least communally defined as bad. Right. I think as you were saying, something that is so bad that it's objective and, and has longstanding harm, I think that doesn't really qualify as much of anything, right? Unless you're being like so brutally kind of violated in such a way that it's apparent to everyone. But that just does not seem to be the case the majority of the time. And I think all the, the nitty gritty you provided, while it seems a bit trivial, I think is really important to understand for a lot of people how that can affect their college experience on a day-to-day life especially for someone like me who's going into college. And while I'm not a female, so I think in that sense, you know, it's less of a threat, but still, as you mentioned, a threat nonetheless. You know, I kind of wanted to get to why you believe this was the case. And what does this mean kind of going forward for a group of college students like you and I, or prospective college students? What is the way forward to kind of interact on these college campuses now that is still safe, even if these guidelines seem stacked against you. All right, so something that I will say is definitely yes, it does give universities and schools the room to say that they don't want to go forth with certain investigations and kind of gives unnecessary wiggle room to something that is certainly not trivial. However, there are things that can be done. Obviously, something like this does not happen without a fight. So although I'm still a high school student, I know that I'm in a group that's active in providing resources to students. And I know that there are plenty of similar groups on college campuses that do the same. So whether or not Title IX is what it previously was, I think that there are gonna be plenty of fights to bring it back to what it previously was because this is obviously a step backwards. It's a step in the wrong direction. And also there are quite a few resources outside of your college campus. So there are plenty of resources from One in Six, which is an organization designed specifically for men to seek justice when it comes to sexual assault and to find ways to go forth with their own healing. There is RAIN, which is an incredible resource for everything having to do with sexual assault. There's also an organization called Know Your Nine, which focuses specifically on Title Nine and what that means and what your rights are. And you can contact people who are much more well-versed in it than I am who will know what is the best route for you to go. So every single case looks different. Every single university looks different. I think that some universities will uphold a higher standard and a standard that is Mm. more accommodating to the people who are accusing because I think that that frankly is very important and that colleges will face a lot of backlash if they don't. However, in cases where they are not so forgiving and where they are just adopting this new policy blindly, I think that a little bit of extra work needs to be done in terms of students who can prevent it from happening in the future. Dan, the more I think about this, I really think there's a whole lot of trauma, unnecessary trauma that's going to be brought out because of this for really no apparent reason, I think. right? There doesn't seem to be a widespread misadjudication of people accused of sexual assault on campus, right? If anything, they're being not accused enough, right? There's too much silence, not people being convicted wrongly, right? To zoom back out, we kind of want to talk about how do we cause change on a larger scale just beyond college campuses? 
so how do you think we can address a lot of these issues on societal scale? I know you had mentioned interpersonal problems to begin. So I think that in order to address it on a more widespread and societal scale, we need to address it on an interpersonal level because it really does start at the bottom. So I would say the first thing to do is call out jokes when you hear them among your friends and among your peers. So I don't know how many times I've been on my high school campus or just out and about with friends where they've made jokes mocking rape or just consent in general and this idea of what it is to consent and mocking the whole personal space consent situation. And I think just calling that out while it can be uncomfortable and while you don't want to be that person, it really is contributing to a larger cause. And it really is in order to make people feel safer, in order to actually have society be safer for people. So while it can be uncomfortable at first, people will get used to it and we can't normalize rape jokes. I think we normalize rape jokes and we normalize stuff that really should not be normalized a lot more than we normalize calling those things out, which I think has to be a dynamic that changes. Another thing I would say is along the lines of calling things out is there are so many myths that I hear all the time. So one is that, oh, people are always lying about it. They're just making that up for fame to get on the TV, you know, to be on the news, whatever it might be. And that's just incorrect. The number of rapes and sexual assault reports that are falsified is equivalent to every single other crime. So it's actually two to 8% of the time, which is very low. It's not like half of the people who are out there saying that they have been sexually assaulted are saying it for any reason other than the fact that they have been sexually assaulted. There's really a lot to lose from it, a lot more than you gain. People have gotten death threats, people outside of their houses for publicly mm. proclaiming these things. So no one is really lying about it. The other thing I would say is education. Education is the number one. I think it's at the root to solving all of our problems. If we start from <laughs> a young age, just the way that we talk, our language is so impactful. As I mentioned earlier, if we tell young boys not, oh, you're so strong, if we tell them as a compliment, you're so sweet, you're kind, you're gentle, that really changes the way that they are socialized as a young kid. And if we tell girls, thank you for sharing your opinion, you should raise your hand more, stuff like that, I think we're getting to a place where more parents are adopting that, but for a long time, it wasn't that way. So I think we have to move towards that. And education, if you can get involved with a program that does education on this, if you can educate yourself, there are plenty of articles. Just look up Title IX, look up sexual assault statistics, whatever your starting place is, there's something there for you. You can read plenty online. You can look up the Brock Turner case and read all about that. You can look up so many different things and find educational materials. Another thing I would say is how we respond to survivors. So a lot of how we deal with sexual assault is the after the fact part. Sadly, I wish everything could just be prevention and education and calling people out is really the prevention portion of it. But then how we respond in the aftermath has a lot to do with how we view rape. So again, don't tell people that they're lying. The first thing to do is just listen. Let them know that you're mm. listening let people know that you are there for them. The other thing is to believe them. The first thing you should do shouldn't be to question them, to ask, what are you wearing? That's victim blaming. And if I wear a full astronaut suit or if I'm wearing a swimsuit, it shouldn't dictate whether or not I am sexually assaulted because really that has absolutely nothing to do with the other thing. So 
listen, believe people, and offer resources without forcing someone to seek justice. Not everyone wants to go up in front of a court and tell their story and be questioned under Betsy DeVos's new rules, which allow people who have been raped to get questioned by their rapist. So I would say don't force that, don't push that in someone's face, because how they go forward with finding their own justice is not necessarily what you would want to do. And just to offer resources, to be there as a resource to that person is the first most important thing that you can do for anyone who has been sexually assaulted. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of work to do going forward, but I think this is an issue like much of the issues that are currently in the media that I think is public opinion can just shift at least at an incremental level there could be a lot of lives saved and a lot of people feeling a lot more supported. And I think we all want that. Ari, thank you so much for coming on to Contested. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contested. If you like what you heard, please visit our website at contestedpolitics.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. I'd like to extend a big thank you to Ari Stern for coming onto the show and really providing some amazing detail on Title IX protections. Additionally, I'd like to thank the wonderful producer and editor of Contested, Adam Hussein, for all his hard work in producing this week's episode. Until next time, thank you for helping us understand politics together.